Good morning. Great morning. Yes, it is indeed. Thank you. Well, this morning I have a difficult task about preaching about a sin that everybody commits, but nobody's guilty of. At least it seems that way to me sometimes. Everybody commits and nobody's guilty of. But before we turn to our passage, I'd like to tell you a story, and maybe it'll illustrate my, my statement. Most of you know that I work for a union, and my environment is very much politically charged, if you know what I mean. And you have to exercise a little wisdom, and sometimes you could use things that you say for your advantage for testimony down the road. I had this particular business agent that was very antagonistic toward me. And I perceived it was because I was a Christian, because I was very open about sharing about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he'd done to save my soul as a free gift. And what I didn't perceive was that my Christianity in his mind was linked to a political party he was very much against. He made that connection. And uh, I understand different political parties. I'd much rather talk about issues than parties because I don't believe in stereotyping, and you'll get my understanding with this story. It was, the time was when President Bush, and I forget which one, was going against a guy named Al Gore. Remember that one? It was a pretty nasty battle, and I think it came down to the courts. Anyway, George Bush won the election. And there was a union meeting, which sometimes I'm obligated to attend since I do work for the union. And he was there up front. And he was giving me this look, you know that look. And he's saying, well, are you happy with how the election turned out? And I didn't say anything to him, but oftentimes I'll vote, you know. I'll you know, do my civic duty, and, and even as a Christian, I'll vote. And when it says who you want to be president, of course, I do my Christian duty, and I write in the Lord Jesus Christ would be my man, right? But I don't tell everybody that. So I go into the union meeting, and he says, well, are you happy with how the election turned out? I said, not really. He says, didn't your man win? You know, thinking, well, I'm a Christian. I voted Republican, right? I said, no. He goes, he did. Who, you mean, didn't you vote for George Bush? I said, no. <laughs> I said, what made you think I did? He says, well, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, there you go, stereotyping again, you know? And he's all, uh, uh, well, I have to apologize. I said, and rightly so. <laughs> and I just left it at that from another time to witness to him, you know? <laughs> Our passage is in James chapter 2, and the topic is going to be partiality. That man was very partial. And so am I. And believe it or not, so are you. Let's read our passage, James chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll read down to verse 13. I'll be reading from the New American Standard, but I'll reference the New King James, even the King James in one place. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. New King James uses the word partiality. Verse 2, if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, 
And you pay attention, special attention, to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? The New King James says, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 5, listen, my beloved brethren, do not, or did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's our passage, and it's about partiality. Partiality, the sin that everybody commits, but nobody's guilty of. <laughs> and you know, really, the only way, I think, to approach this passage and this subject with a, is with a great deal of humility, with a view toward our own heart, to recognize that, yes, we do exercise partiality. <laughs> it's in our nature. We've ra been raised with it. And, and some of it seems natural, but we want to see um, that it really doesn't have a place in the life and the heart of the Christian. And we see why in the passage, um, it talks about the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You know, have not you become judges? Who is the only one fit to judge? Who is the only one that can read the heart and the motives of men and women and children? It's the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we show partiality, we are judging. We're taking the place of God. We're usurping the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory as judge. And we're really not loving our neighbor as ourselves, are we? Showing partiality. You know, if you read through the, the letter of James, you'll find that this is a real issue in the church at the time, was the poor and the rich the difference between the two. And so it's pointed out here the favoritism, the partiality that was evident. Um, in verse 1, it says, Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal uh, favoritism. Do not. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can read somebody who is. <laughs> And it's the construction there, the Greek construction in the words do not give the nuance or the same meaning as stop doing it. Stop it. Just stop it. 
which indicates it was going on. It was going on. And, and so we have to ask ourselves this morning, I think to be honest before the Lord, we have to ask ourselves, do I show partiality? And it, it'll be a good exercise for us to view the different areas in, in our lives to see, do we really show partiality? And if we do, what's it saying? What's it saying uh, about the Lord, about our faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? What does it say about our love toward our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? What does it say about our love for those that the Lord died for that aren't yet part of the family of God? It says a lot. And people read our attitudes and our dispositions by the way we act, by the things we say, by the expressions on our face. And that's what we want to think about this morning. Because it's part of our passage, and it's in the Word of God for our edification and for our learning. I found um, an old, our daily bread. How many of you read our daily bread as a daily devotional? Some nice stuff in there. Food for thought. Well, there was this article back in February of 1979. Way back. When he was a student, the famous Indian leader, Mahatma Gandhi... You've heard of him? He was, considered, he was considering becoming a Christian. Did you know that? He read the Gospels and was moved by them. And it seemed to him that Christianity offered a solution to the caste system that plagued the people of India. One Sunday, he went to a local church. He had decided to see the pastor there and asked for instructions on the way of salvation. But when he entered the church, which consisted of white people... The ushers refused to give him a seat. They told him to go and worship with his own people. He left and never went back. And he thought, if Christians have a caste, if, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. Go worship with your own people. Partiality, wasn't it? Now, you know, we have that today. We just put a different slant on it, don't we? We think, well, let's have a church, a Christian church, that focuses on a certain culture or another culture so they can relate. Isn't that showing partiality? Because the gospel that I read invites individuals to accept the Lord Jesus Christ on his terms. He died came down from heaven, died on the cross to save them from the penalty for their sins. Save them from the penalty of their sins. Invites them into the family of God as a free gift, salvation, eternal life, as a free gift, and invites them into the family of God. Well, who's the family of God? All those that receive the Lord Jesus Christ on that basis. And that's independent of culture. Independent of race, Independent of anything, because we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We're in a boat as sinners on our way to hell. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, if you want out of the boat, just ask me and I'll take you out. And I'll place you not in a boat, but in the family of God. And in the family of God, we're all brothers and sisters, the same standing, equal footing. No one above, no one below. We're all equal in Christ. And so... We can put a different slant on partiality, and somehow it seems acceptable to us. It's not acceptable to the Lord. It's not acceptable to the Lord. And that's not to ignore cultural differences. I had 
I really love cultural differences. I didn't know that I had a culture until I went to another one. You know, I went to Brazil and I learned, wow, they think weird. <laughs> you know, then I started thinking like them. You know, you know you really become part of another culture, another language. Because, you know, at night, you know, Sandra used to wake up and she'd wake up ah, screaming, you know. And I'd wake calm down, it's okay, it's okay. You know, she'd have a bad dream, nightmares, right? And then after a certain period of time in Brazil, I'd wake up, calma, calma. You know, I'd be saying it in Portuguese. <laughs> you know, have you ever talked to yourself in your dreams? You know, you had conversations? Well, there was a certain point where they became conversations in Portuguese, not English anymore. <laughs> so I figured I was getting another culture. And then I started learning, you know, the way I think is not wrong. I can see the logic in it. It just was different than ours. And I'm thinking, how come we're so different? And then I realized, hey, I think I have a culture too. <laughs> The American culture, which I just I never recognized before. And then when you start meeting people from other, other cultures, you start learning about the culture, and they're so interesting. And there's ways in which different culture, people from different cultures think that if you understand the culture, it makes sense. It's just so different. And, and I, I praise God for the diversity of creation. And this is near and dear to my heart, or I should say my stomach. I love food from different cultures. <laughs> You know, that's one thing you can't beat about living in California. You can get food from every corner of the world here, you know. And uh, I really appreciate that. So I'm not, I'm not dissing uh, different cultures. I'm just saying we shouldn't be partial. We're all equal, okay. And we start catering to one or the other, we could be showing partiality without realizing it. And then somebody like Gandhi walks in and they don't get treated the same because they're not of that culture. They're going to walk away feeling unwanted or out of place. And I don't think anybody should be made to feel out of place in the group of true believers. There should be an acceptance and a love that just overshadows any differences, cultural or racial or otherwise. It says in Deuteronomy, and why is partiality so bad? Why is it a sin? Well, that's an easy question to answer because God doesn't do it. If you want to define what sin is, and it's not an easy task to do, a simple way to do it, and I'm not saying it's comprehensive, is whatever way God is, it's the opposite. If God's like that, then that's not sin. That's holy and perfect. If what you're doing or how you're thinking is not the way God thinks or does, well, then it's sin, right? If, God does, is God, if God's a God that doesn't show partiality and I show partiality, well, it's got to be sin. Because God's not like that. And it says that in Deuteronomy. It says it in various places, but one place is in Deuteronomy 10, 17. Let's look there so we can see that it's in the Word of God. Deuteronomy, it's in the Old Testament. What does it go? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So, fifth book from the beginning. Chapter 10, verse 17. And it's, talk, it's talking about the true God. For the Lord, your God, is the God of gods. And the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality or take a bribe. God does not show partiality. We're going to think about what is partiality. What is partiality? It's pretty hard if we don't define what it means, right? In the King James Version, you know, we, we talked about the New King James, we talked about the New American Standard, 
New American Standard words uses the word, um, what was it? I got a list. Personal favoritism, right? Distinction among yourselves. Whereas the New King James uses the word partiality. Right? Well, the King James uses the word respecter of persons. Being partial is being, you know, being respect, having respect of persons, being a respecter of persons. Well, what's that mean? Church members respecting some people over others. You respect, you, you, you notice distinction, and you give respect more to one than you would the other. Okay? And that's not talking about respect where respect is due. My boss walks in, and I'm going to show him respect due my boss. He's going to ask me to do a task at work. I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to give him any back talk. I, I know what authority is, right? Um, but then there's respect that's given that doesn't seem right. I, I, I go to the International Training Center, and right next to the International Training Center, they have the, the dormitories or like a hotel, and then they have the international headquarters. And so I see... You know, the, they have titles. They all have titles. I get so sick of titles. I can't remember all of them. General Vice President of this, that, and the other. So the fellow that it's General President Ken Rigmaiden, I mean, that, that's not his, that's like short abbreviation of his title. You know what I call him? Ken. He calls me Eric. I call him Ken. <laughs> I call him, you know, respect. I don't show him disrespect, but that's his name. That's what I call him. Now, if he asks me, please use my title. That would put him in an awkward position. <laughs> and he hasn't said it yet, so I'm just going to call him Ken. The last one said, call me Jimmy. So I took him up on his word. I'd call him Jimmy. But I noticed that they're big on titles. You know, the uh, assistant executive director of training of the Finishing Trade Institute. And when you see this guy introduced like five times a day and every time his title is given in full, you think, well, these people have something with titles here. You know, respecter of persons. They don't give me that long title, you know. And the higher up you go, the bigger, the longer your title, I guess. Respect for persons. So I'm not saying don't give respect where respect's due. I'm just saying there's respect that's, you know, you elevate one person above another. That's being partial. And sometimes you can see why people do that. You know, they want to impress the boss. They know a title's important to them, so they call him by his title. They're trying to ingratiate themselves toward the boss. Um... Respecter. Okay, so Webster's Dictionary defines being partial as biased to one party, inclined to favor one party in a cause. I, that's, I, I mean, that's my workplace. Or one side of a question more than the other. Not indifferent. Somebody that's biased, somebody that's not indifferent. They already have a preference. They already have a leaning or an inclination. And if you know what that is, you're going to avoid the argument to the contrary with that person because you're going to get in an argument. Different versions help. If we look at different versions, how do they put it? Um, New International Standard Version puts it, My brothers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ by showing partiality. New International Version says, don't show favoritism. Who doesn't show favoritism? I don't care who you are, if you say you don't, and I know you very well, I can show you that you do. <laughs> it's, it's a fact of life. Um, the Good News Translation. Now, I'm not endorsing any of these translations. I just have a list of them. 
My friends, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, you must never treat people in different ways according to their outward appearances. Okay? Outward appearances. You know, outward appearances are, can be impressive sometimes. Sometimes they can mean a lot to people. When I lived in Brazil, um, one nice thing about Brazil, I mean, some people consider it nice, some people not, is that, you know, if you own a piece of property and you had to build a house, you could build according to your means. And if your means consisted of plywood and corrugated metal roof, so be it. If you, you know, brick and mortar and fine wood mansion, so be it. So you'd have a mansion right next to, you know, a, a poor person's house. Right? Now, to me, there's something, something beautiful about that. It's not segregation. Now, if people really want to have a, you know, uh, have partiality, they'll move to one of those gated communities. There they know nobody's going to get in that's poor because the price is so high. Okay. Here we, um, you know, we have codes to deal with that. But I, I noticed that downtown, everybody's dressed nice. If you go by appearance, everybody's about the same social status level. Until you get on a bus, we lived outside the city about 40 minutes, and I would take the bus home lots of times. And I'd get on the bus, and then we'd be, I mean, crowded with people nicely dressed. You know, everything's like pressed better than my stuff up here. Not that this is pressed or anything, but, you know, really nicely dressed people. And then they'd get out, and they'd get out at a bus stop on the side of the freeway. And they'd, you know, maybe 80% of the bus would be walking down, and they'd be going home in what's called a favela. And a favela is another word, what we call slums. They're poor people, and they found a field in which they marked off boundaries, and everybody has their little square, and some of them are just visqueen, black visqueen houses. Some of them could afford to buy plywood. Some of them have found plywood. And that's their living condition. But if they come out of there, get on the bus, go downtown, the way they're addressed, that's their identity. They, 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 they know they're going to be judged by their appearance, not where they live. So we want to be careful about judging by appearance. Just like a person can live in this situation and his dress might not indicate that, a person might have this kind of character and their clothes don't indicate that either. And that's important. You can have the best dressed people that are on their way to hell that you've ever seen. You never know it until you get to know them. And they're just as needy of Christ is the poor person that doesn't have means to dress nicely. God's not partial. You know, we came into this world naked before God. That's how we are. He doesn't care what clothes we wear. That doesn't make us acceptable before Him. And it shouldn't be that important to us. It shouldn't. Partiality. Not just, it's not just appearance. Partiality can have to do with different things like your place of authority in this world. You know, we have police officers in our midst. They have people above them, and they have people above them. What do you think it'd be like if the President of the United States drove up in several limos and several Secret Service behind them and walked into this room? You think he'd be taking the last seat in the place? <laughs> I don't think so. They'd probably march him right up here in the front and probably ask a couple people to leave so they can have Secret Service on the side of them and all that. You don't even have to go to the president. You go to the governor, I guarantee it's going to be different. Because of their level of authority, people are partial to that. And not just do their position. 
You see that very clearly when you see people that are really rich. You know, um, I, I don't know people that are really rich, but I know some, some, somebody that does. Um, there's this person that goes to another church, and they're a multimillionaire. And I'm, I, I understand it's to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. The guy doesn't know the Lord. The wife does. And he's very friendly toward the gospel. I mean, he has ranches and houses that he makes disposable to the young people of that church. And that's a nice thing. But do you think he's treated nicely because he's so rich? That's partiality. Do you think he's treated the same as the guy that has nothing that walks in right off the street? I don't think so. But before the Lord, what's the difference? Before the Lord, what's the difference? I, I'll never forget the lesson I learned when I, you know, we have some friends in Brazil. And they're simple people, but you've never seen such love and acceptance as when they invite you over. And, and, and I think I've said it before, you're sitting on their couch and their walls are dirty around the bottom. You know, uh, brick and mortar houses where things chipping off the walls and you're thinking, wow, this... And I'm a, I'm a construction worker. I, I like construction, so I'm thinking this house could use some repair, right? <laughs> but one thing I noticed about them, they, I've never seen such hospitality that they showed me. They didn't care about their house. They cared about me. They cared about my wife. They cared about our children. We were, we were their guests, and 100% of their attention was on us, not on what does our house look like, not as what we look like, but are they comfortable? You know, are we opening up our hearts to them? And they did. And I thought, they really know what's, what's happening. They really know where it's at. And that's where I began to admire people, simple people, that have that quality about them. Their lives aren't filled with the trappings of material possessions, of mortgages, of payments, of uh, climbing up the corporate ladder. It's about life. It's about rubbing shoulders with your neighbors. It's about helping somebody that's in need. It's about making somebody feel important, even though nobody else makes them feel important. Because they are important to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for them. How can they not be important? Do we make them feel that way? It's interesting because as you touch on this subject, you have to consider the heart of God. We read in 1 Corinthians 1, 25, it says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Think about that. How many noble men are there in our midst this morning? The way the world looks at it, I would say not many. The way God looks at it, we have children of God in our midst. Children of the Most High, Almighty God, that have an inheritance that far outshines the most noble of noblemen on earth. That's what we have. That's the way God sees things. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. Things that are not that he might nullify things that are. Isn't that marvelous that God's like that? You know why? I, I sometimes think when we make a distinction between ourselves, you know, like... 
we show partiality, we might see a difference between two people or ourselves and somebody else. And I'm thinking, where's God? He's off. He's in heaven, right? I mean, he's everywhere. I know that. But if I picture him in heaven, I can, I can push the illustration to where you understand it. Now, you're probably about maybe in the back end, and you're probably about 30 feet from me, 35 feet. What's the distance between my fingers? Four inches? It's hard to tell from back there, right? Now, what do you think if you were in eternity? If you were like a million miles out, would you think you'd be able to tell a difference? Oh, but look at this. I'm four foot farther away than this guy is. From my point of view, I'm a big, there's a big difference, right? From God's point of view, there's no difference at all. He's looking from eternity. We're on the same footing. We're both sinners before a holy God. We're both saved by the same Savior. What's the difference? We sometimes see a big difference. God doesn't see one. And that's how we have to see people. Because God will take the foolish things to shame those that think they're wise. He'll take the weak things to shame those that think they're strong. Because God's a humble God. And God takes pleasure in humility, not pride. And it's pride that makes us show partiality. And, and, and it touches different parts of our lives that you might not have considered. You think maybe they're good things. Um, let me jump ahead real quick because I want to I talk about this one next. Um, family. Family. Now that, some, for some people, that's a sacred cow, right? When I mean sacred cow, you don't mess with that. That's family, right? God, God's for family. Don't touch family, you know? Well, let's think what the Lord Jesus thought about family and what he taught us about partiality when it comes to family. It says in Matthew 12, 46, while he was still speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak with him. And someone said to him, behold, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples. And he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. There's the right attitude toward family. It's not saying family is not important. But it's saying the family of God is that much more important. Those that because they've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, that a heart of gratitude, seek to do God's will... True brothers and sisters in Christ. That should take precedence over our natural family. And if it doesn't, then we don't have the same heart and attitude that the Lord Jesus Christ has. Right? Now, we grew up being partial to our family, right? We, we, usually, we even use the words, I'm so proud of my daughter. You know, I'm going to be so proud of my grandson. <laughs> Isn't that natural? And yet, how far do we put it? How far do we push that? Do we overlook the sins of our children through partiality? If our children perhaps uh, break the law, abuse someone else, do we come to the defense of our children because we're partial? That's not the heart of God. That's sin. Perhaps... You know, um, Santa and I were talking, and we were talking about our different families, and our different families are obviously different, and we get things from our respective families. I pick up some traits from my mother. 
that maybe aren't what you'd consider positive traits. And likewise could be said for her, and I said, be careful. Be careful, we don't want to go down that road. Right? Because you can get in an argument. You can get in an argument, um, perhaps your husband's used to doing one thing, wife's used to doing another. Next thing you know, there's partiality. You know? Partiality can creep in in so, different, so many different ways. I mean, in the scriptures, we have lots of examples. We have partiality of favorite children, right? <laughs> favorite children. Isaac. Isaac liked Esau, right? Why? He was a hunter. He brought home some venison. That's good stuff. Maybe he made venison sausage. I like that. <laughs> Jacob was a homebody. His mom liked him, right? And there was deceit going on and this competition. To the point one wanted to kill the other. And they had to flee. <laughs> Why? Because of partiality. See, it can creep into our very families. You know? Favoritism. Family. And I really appreciate the Word of God that shows us the right uh, viewpoint from the Lord Jesus Christ, the way he treated his family. And in the end, when he said to John when he was on the cross, Behold your mother. He didn't despise his mother. He took care of her and he saw that she was taken care of by telling John to take care of her. And he, and he did. Family. Family. What are some other ways we show partiality? Um, you know what I like? This is what I like. This is precious. I, I, every time I read this, I, I think of how the Lord is. You know, where, where he, sho- he chooses the weak things to shame the strong. It says in, in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is before the Lord comes on the scene. And everybody knows the Lord would come on the scene with a forerunner, right? And everybody remembers who that forerunner would be, or was in this case. But here's the announcement of the forerunner. It says, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, I mean, he's up there at the top, right? When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, he was up there. Oh, and um, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. These are titles, very, very important titles. And his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonicus, I think I said it right, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene. These are very important people, VIPs, right? In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. I mean, he's hitting everything here. The word of God came to John. <laughs> it's like, boom, 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 John. <laughs> what? Where's he? Uh, in the wilderness. He's not in a palace. He's not in the government building, you know, he's like in the wilderness. Isn't that so much like God? Amen. You know, here's the president, here's the governor, here's the senator, here's the congressman, and here's this guy out in the country. What's his name again? John. I'll use him. Isn't that just like God? So, the, you know, the people in our midst that we might look down our nose at, they might be the, the very one God uses as the next great, you know, theologian or teacher or preacher or evangelist. You know, might even be our children. <laughs> be careful, partiality. And he teaches us a lesson here that I wonder how much, take, how much of us take to heart. I think I need to remember this one. Luke 12, 14. 
or Luke 14, 12, excuse me. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. As if you had any. I, I, I don't have any. But. Lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Since they do not have the means to repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When we give a dinner, how many, how many of us, I mean, I shouldn't say this, but we pride ourselves on taking the scriptures literally, don't we? Isn't that the way we should not be proud about it, but we should interpret the scriptures literally. When the literal sense makes sense, don't look for another sense. It makes perfect sense here. And yet when we have a dinner, how many of us have it sitting at our table, the blind, the lame, the crippled? The poor person. I don't know about you, but that's a little convicting to me. You know, it might make us uncomfortable. We might have the excuse, well, they're hard to find. Not if you're looking. Not if you're looking. Same scripture really gives us an indication what keeps us from thinking like that. And when one of those who were reclining at the table heard this, he said, Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Here's someone changing the subject, right? <laughs> but I love it when the Lord takes it and turns it and he makes a lesson out of, it, out of something somebody says. Because basically he's saying, wow, that's going to be great in the kingdom of God, you know? He said to him, a certain man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slaves to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. You know, blessed is he who eats in the kingdom of God, right? What he's basically saying, isn't that going to be great when everybody's in heaven? And the Lord's saying, oh, you really, you think it's going to be like that? Let me show you how, what it's really like. When it comes to people being interested in going to heaven, when it comes to people being interested in eating the kingdom of God, let me show you what it's really like. Let me expose people's hearts to you so you can see what it's really like. They began to make excuses. The first one said, I have bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Oh, you think people want to be in the kingdom of God? Look at this excuse. Bought a piece of land. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Okay, so you got the kingdom of heaven here. You got some dirty auction you want to go try out. This is more important than heaven. That's reality. And another one said, I have married a wife. And for that reason, he's not going to say, I got to try her out. He says, I cannot come, right? I just got married. I can't come, right? So I bought a piece of land. I got to go check it out. I can't wait, right? I could put the, he put the heaven off. I bought some oxen. I go to try them out. That can wait. Oh, I got married. Can you see what they're saying? They're saying heaven isn't worth something I just bought. Heaven isn't worth the job that I work, that I have to go to. And heaven isn't worth the relationship I just got that might be falling apart next year. What's important to people? If you're here this morning and you've been here before, you've heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard that he wants to give you eternal life as a free gift. You've heard all you have to do is receive him as your Lord and Savior. 
you've heard that he wants to make you part of his family and be in your life for good, not for bad. And I wonder if God were to pull back the doors to your heart, what excuse you've been making to him. What is it? You know, the Lord knows, I don't know, but you know, what is holding you back? Is it because your job's more important and you have to work so much? Is it because you have hopes of some, something you're going to buy or some material possession that you think, you think he wants to give up? Is it because you have hopes of a relationship? Just what is it? What excuse do you offer up to put off the Lord for this gift of eternal life he wants to give you? Only you can answer that, but the Lord knows. So the Lord is pointing out, oh, you think people really want to go into heaven? It's not quite like that. As a matter of fact, the road that leads to hell leads to destruction. Destruction is described as broad, the gate wide. The way to eternal life, narrow, the gate small. I don't know how you interpret that, but I interpret that as there's going to be more people in hell than heaven. And it's going to be because of these excuses. The things that were more important to them, more important. Back to partiality. Partiality. What ways do we show partiality? What ways? We already talked about family. Right? I, I think it'd be easier if we just think of what gives us opportunity to be partial. Places of authority. Somebody in a place of authority, are we going to be partial to them? Are they going to show partiality? Professional standing. Sometimes we can think highly of someone just because of their professional standing. Maybe the degree they have in school. Maybe, maybe the social status they've arrived at. You know, it's, it's amazing how the world lifts up people and for what reason they lift them up. You know, I, I, I use the Internet as a tool a lot at school. And it's pretty hard to get on the Internet with, without all these, these fashions flashing all over the place. This person, this fashion, this. I mean, they even have grades, A, B, C, and D. How would you like to be graded for a fashion? It's so stupid. You know, it's like, that's what's important to the world. And if you don't measure up, guess what? People are going to show you partiality. <laughs> you know, they might just grade you. <laughs> Riches. You know, I, I can remember, um, I, I know this guy that goes to another church. And uh, he's, I, I can remember three separate times that he told me he made six figures. Three separate times. I'm thinking, why is that person making such a point to tell me he's making six figures? <laughs> I know it's a lot, but who cares? I mean... I know, the, I know the, the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills, you know? But he made it a point to, to say that. So to him, that's important, right? So that's what he says, you know? Clicks. Are we known as a church of clicks? I hope it's not so. I hope it's not so. And that's one thing I appreciate about these, um, these lunches that we have, these potlucks at different people's houses. It breaks up the, uh, the tendency we have to click with people that we get along with or that, that we communicate well with. You know? And it helps us to get to know different people. So I really appreciate that. Partiality. Let it not be said that we show partiality in our personal lives and especially in the house of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we're so appreciative this morning that you're not a God of partiality.
For if you were, I know that I would be excluded from the kingdom of God. We're thankful that each and every soul is important to you. And that when Jesus died, he died for every soul that's ever come into being. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here that doesn't yet know you. That perhaps has been holding back and perhaps you've shown them why this morning. We all pray that that person would receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And know you for who you really are. A God who loves them with no partiality. We pray it in Jesus' name.